0: Good morning, everybody. Just, uh, I was asked to let you know that if you have little ones, uh, you, for grade ones to fives, they're going to be in the North Hall, uh, there's, uh, Sunday school there for them. And then if you have preschoolers, the playground is open. I see everyone's already leaving. This was a useless announcement. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, everyone knows where they're going. Um, if you're new, just want to say welcome. It is such a blessing to have you with us. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, you've joined us at an exciting time. We are in a series called Seeing Jesus. I just love this song that we've sung. I, I've, I've shared it before. I, just, I think that's what defines us as Christians, just speaking the name of Jesus, continuing the work of Jesus. There's, there's no greater name, uh, there's no greater person we can know, no greater name that could be on our lips but the name of Jesus. And This series is really about that. John writes his gospel and he writes with an express purpose, which he sort of sums up at the end of the book of John. It's going to come up over here. We've shown you every single week, but we want to just keep bringing us back to this. John writes the book of John for this reason, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John records what he records so that you may know Jesus, see Jesus, and believe in him, and by believing in him, have eternal life. And so this morning, we're going to continue that series. I was, I was given the mandate to preach John chapter 6. It's one of the worst things you can do if somebody's given the whole chapter and be like, you've got 35 minutes to get it done. Um, so we're not doing all of John chapter 6. We're going to do the last half. Uh, But we'll just speak over what we missed out uh, in the beginning just to give some context to what we're reading. But really what we're going to see in John chapter 6, the last half of it, is Jesus revealing more of who he is to people and revealing a little bit about ourselves to us and how we're meant to respond to him. We're going to look and see what real genuine faith is all about. What it means to truly follow Jesus. And so we're going to see, one, that Jesus is the bread of life. And uh, That's what Jesus says about himself. And because he's the bread of life, Jesus says, you need to consume me, eat me, feast on me. And this was contentious for people back in the day, and it's maybe a little bit confusing for us as well. And then we're going to see that because of this message, some people were repelled by Jesus and decided not to follow him anymore, and some people were drawn to him and said, regardless of what you say, I can't help but follow you. So uh, just a bit of context to what we're going to be reading. Um, before what we're going to read, what happened was Jesus had fed uh, about seven to 10,000 people. It says 5,000 men, so not including women and children. He fed them with two fish and five loaves of bread. He feeds them so that they all have enough to eat. And then there's still 12 baskets of leftovers. Uh, Jesus then sends his disciples uh, over the lake. And he says, look, I will meet you. And unbeknownst to them, he was going to meet them by coming to them by walking on the water. And they have this amazing experience with Jesus. And then the next day, they're on the other side of the lake. And they're in another part of the you know, uh, area. And, 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 the, and the people who were fed by Jesus wake up and they go, "Where is he gone? Uh, we need this guy who gives us food. Let's go find him again. Right, so they go on this long trip to go find where Jesus has gone, where this guy who gives him food has gone, and they, and they, and they catch up with him and they have some questions for him. And one of them is, Hey, where have you gone? Right, and uh, Jesus knows what's in their heart. He starts to challenge them, and that's basically the context to uh, where we're at this morning. We're going to read together John chapter 6, from verse 25. Here's what it says When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your full of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him. Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. There's a lot of stuff there. But what's clear is that Jesus knows the heart of these people and he keeps reiterating, I'm the bread of life. He understands what's going on. He understands why they have come to him and what their motives are and he starts to challenge them. You see, these people come to find Jesus because they were fed by him the day before and they're upset that he's gone and they want more food. Jesus says, you haven't come to me, seen signs and wonders. You've come because your bellies were full and now I'm gone and you want me to do it again. He says to them, this is why you've come, but I want you to know something deeper. I want you to know who you've really come to, and it's very similar to some of the challenges we see Jesus giving to people, especially in John chapter 4 we see this, uh, right at the end where he goes to the Galileans and they welcome him, but they welcome him for the wrong motives. These people go and seek Jesus, but for the wrong motives, and they think he doesn't know. They demand a sign. When he challenges them, he says, you've come to me for bread because I gave you bread yesterday. You want more now. I am the real bread. I'm what you should be eating. They don't understand, so they demand a sign. They're like, well, Moses gave our people for 40 years manna in the desert. If you say you're greater than Moses, which we seem to think you're saying, what are you going to give to us to prove that you are really who you say you are? But, and they're not asking in a legitimate way to make sure they're not following an incorrect Messiah. They're asking because they've come with the intent and express purpose of getting more from Jesus. Not coming for who he is, but coming for what he can give. They even quote this scripture. They say, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What the people are saying is that if Moses gave people bread to eat for 40 years, and you greater than Moses, Jesus we're expecting a little bit more. What can you give us? If Jesus, you really are the Savior of our people, surely you should be doing greater things than Moses. But Jesus responds to their attempt to manipulate him by challenging them even more. He says this to them, and I love this. He says, let me just explain this one thing to you. Moses never gave anybody anything. Moses was a conduit through whom God gave to his people everything. Everything. It says, it was God who gave manna in, in, in the wilderness. It was God who brought water from the rock. It was God who was a pillar by fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day. It was God who did everything. You've got this one fundamental thing wrong. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And anything you get that is good is from Him. Just remember that. Can you imagine being those people right there? Jesus plays a spiritual card. <laughs> right? But we tend to do that. There's something we can learn about God and that he's the giver of good gifts. But more than anything, something we learn about ourselves. We can so attach ourselves to people and what people give and what people do and forget that God is the giver. How many times have we prayed in my life, prayed for stuff and asked God for things, and he's answered and he's answered and he's answered. And rightfully so, we thank the people who are obedient to God through whom God has blessed us, but very seldom in my life personally confession do I find myself running to the feet of Jesus to say, God, thank you so much for that. It's almost just taken for granted. God, oh God, you know I'm thankful. I almost feel more obliged to thank the person than to thank the real giver. And this is what these people do. This They misunderstand where the blessing comes from because they're trying to manipulate Jesus into giving them more. And we can do that so often. Church, I can do it in my own life. Right? I, really, I love preaching, but I also hate it because it tends to be a time where I confess all the time. Right? And then I wonder if I'm going to have a job on, on Tuesday. But so many times we, can, we try and manipulate God. We try and manipulate Him. We try and manipulate Him because we want stuff from Him as if He's some cosmic genie or vending machine. So Jesus challenges them with their motive and he says, hey, it wasn't Moses who gave, it was God who gave. And then he says something else. He says, Moses gave, but God is giving. He changes it from what was past to what is present. He says, Moses gave you bread, but God gives you bread now. In other words, as we're speaking, you might want food. Your people might have got food 40 years ago, well, not 40 years ago, Hundreds of years ago for 40 years in the desert, but what's presently being offered to you now is greater than anything they ever experienced then, because I am the bread. I am the bread that you're meant to be eating. What Jesus gives is is not for keeping one's body alive. What Jesus gives, what he's saying to him, what he's saying to us is it's about keeping your soul alive. It's about giving you spiritual life. And so by default, it's already greater than anything Moses could have ever dreamt of giving to his people. And it was God who gave anyway. Jesus, what he's offering is far superior to the manner that was given to the people in the desert for 40 years. Because that manner, although it sustained them physically, they still died. We know what happened to that unfaithful generation because of their faithlessness. They died. It's the reason why they spent 40 years in the desert, because they wouldn't want to go into the promised land. They didn't trust God. But God still fed them faithfully until they passed away, and the Joshua and Caleb generation inherited the promised land. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you something far greater than that. You eat that bread, you die. You eat what I have to give you, you live. It's very similar to what he says to the woman at the well in chapter 4. When she misunderstands, she says, Lord, give me this water you speak about that's going to rise up in me to, you know, to rivers of living water that I don't have to come to this well anymore. And Jesus has to explain to her, listen, that's not real water that I'm talking about. You're still going to need to drink water and eat real food to stay alive on this earth. But what I'm wanting to give to you is something deeper than that. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They say, give it to us always. They misunderstand like the woman at the well did. And and we we can be gracious. We can sometimes be a little bit arrogant and think we would have understood, but I, I, I really don't think we would have. Jesus would have had to lead us exactly the same way as he leads them. He says, let me be more specific with you. This bread that I'm offering you is not bread like I gave you yesterday where you ate and you were full. And now this is the reason why you're coming to me again. What I'm offering you is me. I am the bread of life. Only God can satisfy. I am God. I am the bread you should be eating. Like you ate yesterday and were satisfied. Your soul is hungry. Your spirits, they're dead. They need to be brought to life. And I am the bread that can sustain you and bring life to your spiritual beings. The problem was they had come to him for what they could get instead of coming to him for who he He is and I think we can sometimes do that. We often hear about the gift and the gift giver. And I think even in the church, we can come to God for what he gives. We can love the gift and elevate the gift more than we elevate the gift giver. And Jesus is saying to His people, I see your hearts. I know your hearts and your motives. Come to me for who I am because who I am satisfies. And there is so many peripheral blessings to being sons and daughters in the kingdom and being sons and daughters of the king, children of the king. But it's because we are sons and daughters that we are satisfied. That's the biggest blessing. It's not the peripheral stuff. But as a church, what I've noticed in my own life is when I go out into that dark and broken world, when we go to continue the work of Jesus and we preach the gospel, nine times out of ten what I'm trying to do is win people with nice news. And the nice news is you come to Jesus, you get a whole bunch of cool stuff. He'll sort this out, this out, this out, this out. He'll bless you here. listen to this testimony, that testimony. And those can be great to share with people. But I think the message is this. Come to Jesus for who he is. And who he is satisfies. And very possibly, like a good father gives good gifts to his children, he'll bless you. But even if he doesn't, just knowing him is enough. But that's what he's trying to get these people to understand. Coming to come into Jesus who is our bread means that we will be satisfied by him and him alone regardless of what we have so often our satisfaction comes from the amount of stuff we possess the things we have we compare ourselves to other people if i just had that i'd be okay if i just had that job i'd be okay if i just had that much money i'd be okay if i just had this or this or this or this or this think about this when we're hungry and we're thirsty we become uncomfortable. In my home, we have, and everyone knows, I'm sure there's this phrase, I don't know who coined it, called hangry, right? It's like, when you're so hungry, you're angry, okay? So in our home, we have lots of people who get hangry, right? Um, I, I am one of them, but I'm not the worst one in my home, right? And so when someone is beginning to get hangry, we feed them quickly, you make a plan. Whether it's a warmed up Vienna, leftover broccoli, doesn't matter. You give it to them, okay? Because they're uncomfortable and if you don't feed them, your life's going to be uncomfortable. We do something when we're hungry. We do something when we're thirsty. We don't like being thirsty. We don't like being hungry. We just try fasting for a day and you'll see what's really in you, right? Because you're hungry. You think you're a nice person when you're eating food. Try not eat food and you'll see how uncomfortable you become. But we do something about it. We go and we eat. We cook something. We go out, we make a plan, regardless of what it is. You drink something, you eat something, and you sort your discomfort out. What happens when it comes to the soul? See, so often we are spiritually dead, malnourished, and thirsty, and hungry, and we're trying to satisfy that with physical things. You're trying to satisfy that with money. You're trying to satisfy that with security, with comfort, with friendship, with family. You're trying to satisfy that with, I don't know, prestige and excellence and excelling at work and all sorts of stuff, sports and TV and TV. I don't know. There's just so many things that we do that are physical that will never meet our spiritual needs. Jesus says, if you want to be satisfied, nothing compares to me. Do something about your spiritual state. But what you cannot do is feed a spiritual need with something physical. You need something spiritual. You need me. I'm the only one who satisfies. It doesn't matter whether it's health whether it's family, whether it's power, whether it's your desires, nothing compares to him, ever. You will always fail to be truly satisfied, church. The world will always fail to be truly satisfied. As sons in law, we will truly fall short of being 100% satisfied if our satisfaction is found in anything else other than Jesus. Here's what it says in Isaiah 55, 1, 2, 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, And he who has no money, see this has got nothing to do with how much you own or how much you earn. He says, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast love sure love for David. Church, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you know Jesus or not. But the invitation to you this morning is if you've been walking around the peripheral, if you've been walking around the outside, it's time to to come in and to find your satisfaction and fulfillment of all your desires and your deepest life needs in the one who alone can satisfy. And if you don't know Jesus, the invitation is, is come. Come to him and he will satisfy your desires. Regardless of what you have or don't have, all you need is him. And because he's our bread, Jesus says, feed on me. I'm going to understand that this speaks about what it means to truly believe in Jesus. He goes on to say, this is point number two. If anyone eats this bread, speaking about himself, he will live forever. And the bread that I give him for the life of the world is my flesh. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. What Jesus says throws the crowd into a bit of turmoil. He says some stuff that honestly is a bit difficult to understand, and if he's being dead serious and very like real, It's quite gross, right, what he's saying they need to do. But Jesus is not into cannibalism, right? He doesn't actually want them to eat his body and drink his blood, right? And this sounds a little bit irreverent, but there's probably not enough of him to go around, okay, if that's really what he was asking them to do. But Jesus is pressing in to the crowd and teaching a deeper truth and either going to be drawing some people in who are intrigued or repel them, and we're going to see that just now. But Jesus is not letting them off the hook. He's coming and he's asking questions and making statements to open them up to their own assumptions and the own ideas they have about him and challenge them with what they really believe about him. And he's going to show us what true faith really looks like. What Jesus is doing is not saying you actually need to eat me and drink me. What he's saying is that when you come to me, if you knew who I was, you would allow me to completely consume you and you would be completely consumed by me. You would want and make sure that I am everything to you. You would prioritize me above anything and everything if you truly knew. You've come to me for physical food. I am the true bread. If you understood what that meant, you would want to eat me continuously. And if you knew that I was true drink, you'd want to drink me continuously. What do I mean by this? I don't know. Come and ask me. But what I'm saying to you is drawing you into deeper truth. Some people think that this is just referring to the Lord's Supper. You know, we have bread. Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, um, betrayed, broke bread, and said, this is my body broken for you. And he poured the wine, and he said, this is my blood spilled for you. Some people think that he's speaking about that. It's, a re, it's like a prophetic reference to what's to come. I think like, communion's part of it, but I think Jesus is speaking about something so much deeper. He's speaking about why we take communion. It's, it's so, so I'm married, and I have a ring, and I have a family, and I wear this ring, but the ring is not the thing that I'm most excited about. In fact, I've lost about five, all right? So I have a silicon one now, which is great, 50 bucks, okay? Um, <laughs> just come talk to me about it afterwards, guys, I'll tell you, all right? So I'm excited about being married. I'm not excited about the ring. In fact, I don't like, the, it irritates me. Right? But this is just a symbol of a deeper, more beautiful truth, and that's I have a wife who's been given to me by the Lord, and I've been given to her, and we have a family. It's beautiful. We celebrate what God has given to us, and communion is a celebration of what God has done. His body was broken. His blood was spilt, and so we take communion because of a deeper and greater truth, and that's that God has given himself for us, and we have life in him. So Jesus says, but you're going to consume me. You think about what happens when you eat something, right? It enters you. It nourishes you. It becomes part of you. It sustains you. It satisfies you. And so what Jesus is really saying is if you knew who I was, you would come and you would be with me all the time. You would allow me to completely rule your life. And as you do that, it would be like you're eating me. would be so close together. I would sustain you, nourish you. I would be in you and you'd be in me indistinguishable, this relationship, this dynamic that exists is beautiful beyond what you can imagine. That's what Jesus is saying. And I know that this imagery of eating and drinking Jesus is difficult to digest, right? And the pun is intended. Right? But, but what he's saying is if you don't immerse yourself in me and allow me to fill you, if you don't surrender your heart and your soul to me, nothing in your life will ever be satisfied. No desire No goal you ever set yourself and achieve will ever fulfill. Nothing will ever bring purpose like I bring purpose. You are completely lost without me. And you may have moments of achievement and feeling like you've achieved something. But if you sit down and you think about it and you think about what it's all been worth, you'll go, I've really achieved nothing. Because this life begins and it's going to end. And what comes afterwards is the most important. And Jesus says, I can deal with that. Jesus is the one we need for everlasting life. That's why he says in verse 56, and he presses deeper, it's not just a once-off thing. This true faith is about immersing yourself in Jesus, allowing him to, to rule and to reign in your life, for him to be king and lord over your life, but it's an ongoing thing. He says in verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood and abides in me, I will abide in him. This abiding is an ongoing thing. It's not a once-off thing. A true believer understands that life is not life with Jesus because yesterday I believed. Life with Jesus and my faith is a genuine faith because today I believe. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm a Christian because today I follow Jesus. Today I'm obedient to Him. Today I love Him. Yesterday has come and gone. Tomorrow will come and go, but today I follow Jesus. This is continuous abiding. In verse 57, Jesus amplifies this message. He says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. And we can spend a whole series on trying to unpack what it means that because of the Father Jesus lives, but to uncomplicate it and for brevity's sake, it simply just means this, that the life of Jesus was all about pleasing and honoring the Father. Jesus found joy and satisfaction by being immersed in the Father and doing the Father's will and being obedient to the Father. His satisfaction and sense of fulfillment as he walked this earth was found in being obedient and connected to his Father. Jesus says over and over again, my food is to do the will of my Father. I do only what I see the Father doing. Jesus prays to the Father, takes direction from the Father. He's immersed in the Father and as a result has life. And it's fulfilled. And he says, in the same way that I'm fulfilled by the Father, so when you immerse yourself in me and allow me to immerse myself in you, you become fulfilled. You have life. And that's what it means to genuinely follow him. Jesus is talking about true salvation. He says, life as a Christian is about being obedient to me. It's about being found in me. It's about having me be at the epicenter of your life and there be no other idols and it be just me. As the highest priority. And I've said this over and over again. And my family know this. And I love being able to say it. And I'll keep saying it as long as I mean it. But I really do love my family. I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my wife. I love my children. In fact we've got this really cute little three month old. She's just, just freaking adorable. And I love them. But I love Jesus more. I love Jesus more. And God is a God who gives and he takes away. And my love for him. I'm a relationship with him. It's not dependent on what he gives and what he takes away. It's on who he is. And I pray that God never, ever allow me to experience the taking away of those things that I love. But even if it does happen, he still remains who he is. Jesus wants us to follow him and to be obedient to him and to be immersed in him and to feed on him. That's what it means. To be a true believer but as he says it and as he does that it's going to become difficult to accept sometimes the thing that's that he says because we love democracy we believe in democracy but the kingdom and kingdom living is not a democratic thing um the, the kingdom has a king right it, it, there there is a structure that exists and the king is at the top and we are there to serve and to be obedient right? and we see this because jesus says some difficult stuff and this is the last point this morning There are some people who are repelled by what Jesus has had to say. It says, many of his disciples in verse 60 heard it. When they heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What is the it that they're speaking about? We read about it earlier. It says, this is the it. This is what they don't like that Jesus is saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh, and you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Then he goes on to say, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. That's, that's what they mean by this this thing. It is too difficult to accept. But Jesus, it says in verse 61, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are are some of you who do not believe. Verse 65, and he said, that is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And then some of the most amazing words you can read in Scripture spoken by not Jesus. Simon Peter turns around and says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. Rather than inspecting their hearts and listening to Jesus and being born in and going to inquire of Jesus what he means, they just go, this is too difficult to hear. Notice that it's his disciples that are grumbling, not the Jews in the synagogue. It's those that have been following Jesus for some time. His own disciples cannot handle what he is teaching. And so they say amongst themselves, this is a hard thing to listen to. Who, who can accept it? The phrase means that what they've heard is not just maybe difficult to understand. Because let's be honest, when Jesus says, you've got to eat me and drink me, it's a little bit weird. And it may be difficult to understand. But what's emphasized here by John is it's not that it's too difficult to understand because they could have gone and asked for clarity. They just don't like what they're hearing. And so it's difficult to accept. It's, they're unwilling to tolerate it. Rather than saying to Jesus, Jesus, what did you mean? And try and understand. They turn away. Jesus didn't respond to them and say, is this too difficult for you to understand? Because I don't think that was even a factor. They could have come to him and asked, like the disciples had done many times. Jesus instead says says to them, Does this offend you? And the reason why Jesus does this is because he wants to expose their motives, he wants to expose their hearts. And church, it still happens today, believe me, where the word of God challenges the hearts of those who profess to follow him. And often When it comes to something that Jesus has said, and we don't like it, we either twist the scriptures to say something else, or we skirt around it, or we just choose not to follow him anymore. The problem is not that they didn't want to understand. The problem is that they didn't want to receive it. They had drawn a line in the sand for themselves And we can so often do that. We draw a line in the sand and we go, Jesus, I will follow you until you cause me to cross this line. And sometimes we don't even know that that line is there. But there will come a time, which I promise you in your life, where God will expose your heart because he's taking you from one degree of glory to the next, where you will reach a point where you're going to step over a line that you've drawn in the sand and you don't want to step over it. And you have two choices. Either I turn away or I trust that God's word is his word and that his words are life because he's the Holy One of God so often the scriptures are going to offend. They're going to offend what you think is morally right, as if we have a monopoly on righteousness and holiness and godliness. They're going to offend the way that you want to do things. It's going to challenge you on what you really believe. And you either truly believe that Jesus has the words of life, or that you do. And that's the biggest challenge I think the church faces today. It's authenticity and integrity and the validity and inerrancy of the scriptures. I what Jesus had to say being truth. But God expects faith and obedience and trust in him in the face of difficulty and in the face of you maybe not understanding why he's called us to do certain things. There are things that God asks me to do that, to be quite honest, I don't want to do, but I do because he's my king. I do because he says, do it because by being obedient to me, you show your love and your reverence and your allegiance to me. We saw back in John chapter 2, Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. Jesus knows. You cannot manipulate him. You cannot get away from it. He knows and he'll ask you questions through brothers and sisters or through the scriptures that will open you up to your own assumptions about certain things. And there are so many times where that has happened and I've been so grateful, but I haven't responded always in the best way and it's taken some time for God to work on the hardness of my heart and my desire for something else. Jesus knows his disciples are grumbling about him. He doesn't ease up on them. And I just want to make this one point and then I promise we're going to end. We'll look at what Peter has to say. But so many times, we try and win people for the gospel by telling them nice things and comforting them and holding back on truth and we overemphasize grace. You see, It says in John chapter 1, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. They're married together. Jesus never compromised truth for love and love for truth. It was both of them together. Right? But so often we want to emphasize grace, 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 the love of God, the love of God. And that's true. But God is also a righteous God who's going to send people to hell and think sin is abhorrent. And because of sin, you're going to die. And the only way to Jesus, the only way to the Father is through Jesus. There is no other way. You will die in your sin. You will go to hell. That will happen. Jesus is not going to make everything perfect. He's not going to make everything nice. Life is not necessarily going to become easier. It may even become more difficult following Jesus. But your soul will be satisfied. You'll have spiritual life and you'll inherit eternity and relationship with him. That's far better and trumps any difficult stuff you can go through in life. Jesus often taught that. He doesn't ease back. He doesn't hold back. He just hammers with the truth. But every time he brings truth, he shows people he loves them. And he understands how difficult it is sometimes for us. I don't know if that makes sense. But we can sometimes overemphasize grace, and we can sometimes overemphasize truth as well and become so unloving that people don't want to hear it. Jesus marries the two together. And I think the 12 disciples are in this place when Jesus says, you've got to eat my body and drink my blood. Right? And they see the disciples walking away. It says, after this, many many, many decided to walk away from him and follow him no longer. And then Jesus turns around and asks what I think is one of the most honest questions in all of Scripture from Jesus. Not, not that he ever lied about a question. was dishonest. But it's this real heartfelt, genuine, you guys don't want to leave too, do you? And we read Peter's words. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. What you, read between the lines, I'm sure I'm just like inserting stuff here. Peter's probably like, Jesus, we want to run far away as well. I don't want to have to eat your body and drink your blood. I really hope that's not what you mean. If it is, it's going to suck. But we will do it because you have words of life. But I trust that you don't mean that. And so we're going to stay because whatever it is that you've just said that we don't understand is going to make sense to us at some point or another, I'm sure, but we are hanging on to you because there's nowhere else to go, no matter how difficult it is, this thing that you've said. That's the heart of a true believer. That's the heart of a true disciple. That's the heart of someone who understands that Jesus is God and can meet your deepest needs. Peter's saying what you demand is difficult. We're also tempted to go, but there's more of a draw to you than anything else. These things are deep things, and we know that you are the Holy One of God, and so what you're saying is life. And so we're going to stay. No matter how challenging, no matter how difficult, Lord, no matter where you take us, we can never go back to our former way of life. Everything you have is glorious no matter how difficult and we trust in you. And so Jesus, we're going to drink from you. We're going to eat from you. We're going to be immersed in you and we are never going to walk away no matter how difficult it is, even to the point where we lose our lives, which happened for most of them, for the sake of your name. Church, where is that line for you? What line can Jesus not cross with you? What thing could he take away from you that would cause you to stop following him? What is the thing that he could say to you that will cause you to doubt his love for you? If there's anything, the challenge today is to bring that before the Lord and be led by the Spirit in confessing and repenting of that so that Jesus becomes everything. There's no more lines to stop you. That's what it means to truly believe in him. And John wants us to see this because in life is Jesus. and Jesus is life. And our lives should be in Jesus and if there's anything that's stopping us from experiencing that, we're losing out. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to end with a song of worship. But really, they're just two groups of people that I want to pray for this morning. Those who know Jesus and those who don't. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you this day, today, is the day where Jesus says to you, I'm the bread of life. Come and feast on me. And you know that that doesn't mean eat him. It's not like we've got pieces of Jesus somewhere for you to eat. But it, it, it means... Come and receive from God what He wants to give to you spiritually. Today is the day where that can happen. We'd love to pray for you. There are plenty of people here who would just love to lead you into a relationship with the King that we so love. And then for you who are brothers and sisters in the Lord, I want to encourage you to keep fanning into flame your love for Jesus. Keep allowing Him to the Spirit to remove those obstacles and wipe out those lines in the sand that you've drawn for yourself. And keep going out and continuing the work of Jesus and ministering to a world that is broken and lost and desperate for the good news of Jesus. right? We want them to see and know and believe and have life in Jesus. And it's incumbent upon you and I to take that message out there. Let's pray for boldness for that. But Father, so we, we want to pray as we go into this last message that if there are those in this room and sort of touring this morning who don't know you, that, Lord, as you've been sharing with them and as you've been speaking to them, that they would respond to you. Lord, that there would be no fear, no confusion, no anxiety, no apprehension, but that there'd be a running to the feet of Jesus to say, Yes, Lord. I want to give my life to you. And Lord, for those of us who know you and love you, Lord, we confess that you are our everything. Help us to love you more. Lord, where we are struggling with doubts, we believe, but help us in our unbelief, as Paul says. Cause us to love you more and to desire you more and to be bold and courageous in taking the truth of the gospel into a broken world. We pray for that. And Lord, as we end off this morning with song and and, and worship. May you stir our hearts. May we take this message out into the week that lies ahead and for your glory be used by you. In Jesus' name. Amen.